Welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg, where we deliver marketing strategy in plain English. This is Lorraine Ball. And Allison Carter. And this week, we're going to talk about hiring people. Are you firing me? I'm not firing you yet. (laughs) No, seriously. This, I think, is one of the most challenging things that a business owner has to do, which is hiring people for their organization. Unlike a a large company, you can't hire someone who does a less than outstanding job. Yeah, dead weight, you know, it's it's easier in in larger companies for someone to just kind of skim along and not really do anything, whether that's not pulling their weight or not producing quality work and having other people cover up for it. There's nobody to cover for you if you don't do a good job in a small business. And so because of that, this whole area of how do you hire people, what should you do in an interview, what should you look for on a resume, is a continual challenge. Let's start with the very first phase of the hiring process, which is the job ad, or just having open submissions. So they're really two very different school of thoughts there. One is that you craft a job ad to attract a very specific person for a very specific job. And in the other instance, you sort of keep it kind of loose. Hey, we're kind of hiring, we're not hiring, but if you think you want to work with us, send us your stuff. Now, when I was a job seeker, I certainly sent lots of applications like that, including one to Round Peg, but I always thought they were kind of a black hole, you know? If there was no particular job, it always seemed like they went into a circular file and nothing ever came of it. And you know, for me, it's just the opposite. Um, I have always, I've always been on the lookout for talent. I have hired people when I really didn't have a job for them to do, and those hires have often been the best things that I've done for the company. Um, bringing somebody on because they had an interesting skill set and figuring or, or betting that I could find a way to make it work. It's really much more difficult when you have a specific job in mind and have to find someone who fits neatly into that little box because many people design job ads that call for unicorns. At, it's really hard as a small business owner not to go looking for unicorns because you need somebody to do so many different things. You need someone who's going to pick up some of the data entry that as a business owner you can't do, but that person also has to be able to edit the website. They have to be able to write copy. They have to be able to answer the phones, do customer service, wave a magic wand, have a pocket full of fairy dust, and create miracles. Really, and we've talked about this before, I think, when you have a situation like that, when you ask for the moon and stars, what you wind up with is someone who is, at best, mediocre at multiple things. Now, if that's something like data entry, that might be something you can get away with. I would suggest it not be something that you try to get away with, with like your graphic design or your copywriting, but you know, you do what you gotta do. Absolutely, and I think business owners make mistakes because they hook into a word and assume that that word describes everything. Mm -hmm. Someone who's good with computers may be good at building them or may be good at writing software. Those are two very different skill sets. 
Um, same thing with someone who's a marketing person. Well, a true marketing major is neither a graphic design nor a copywriter. No. They are a strategist and hiring a marketing major and then saying, hey, you're going to do our newsletter, you're going to design our brochures, and you're going to write all our web copy is really a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I can't tell you how many job ads I would see during my job search that called for someone who was a great copywriter, could use all social media networks, could do emails, could do graphic design, was familiar with HTML. Uh, the list went on and on and on. And again, the simple fact is, best case scenario, you're going to have someone who is okay at some of those things and not really that great at anything because they don't have time to specialize. So the first thing that I think you really need to do as a business owner, if you're about to hire somebody, is think about the top three things this person has to do. And those are the, those are the real skills that you need to be looking for. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a plus, if they can also do that, if they can also do mm -hmm. that. But figure out what is the job really about, where is this person going to make the biggest impact, and look for someone with the skills to do that. But it's not just about their skills. Something else that people really overlook is how that personality type is going to mesh with your existing team. I don't mean just that everybody has to get along and love each other, though that's a bonus. People have to at least not actively hate each other, hopefully. But you really have to look at how those skill sets complement each other and make each other better and make up for the relative strengths and weaknesses of each personality type. And especially when you have a team of two or three people, the personality types become even a little more important. We have a lot of introverts. And so bringing an extrovert into the mix, now I am one, but I don't sit with you guys. Mm -hmm. Bringing an extrovert into the mix is good, it's healthy, it's interesting, but recognize that sometimes what's good may also create a little bit of a a little bit of an uncomfortableness because they don't inter they don't interact or communicate the same way. Right, and so you have to kind of lay that groundwork. Um, but I also think you need to look at what are the strengths on your team and what's missing. Mm -hmm. um, I am a big picture person. I am sure there are commas and periods at the end of every sentence. I occasionally see them. Most of the time, I'm not going to, and so I have to have people around me who are better at that side of it. I actually stopped listening because I was so hung up that you said that commas come at the end of sentences, and that's not how that works. <laughs> Again, someone who focuses on the detail. Um, but at the same time, and uh, you to some extent, but certainly some of the other people that I have worked with even more so over the years who are so good at the detail, sometimes need to be pulled back a little bit to the bigger picture. Yeah, it can be easy to go down rabbit holes. And so I think it's it's finding that balance and building and knowing what your team needs. Exactly. So don't just look at can they do this. Also look at how they're going to blend with the rest of your team and what their personality type is going to bring to the table. And there's a lot of clues to some of that even in the applications and the resumes that you get. Now, I'm sort of a soft touch uh, when I see a pretty resume or an interesting little cover letter. And I typically pass it over to you, and you tend to be a lot more, and I don't mean negatively critical, but I mean you look at it with a more critical eye. What are some of the things that you look at in those documents that immediately raise red flags for you? 
the first thing is how neat is it? And this, this means everything from the email address. Is it an embarrassing email address? Hopefully everyone in God's green earth knows by now your email address that you use for business should not end in a 69. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. But grammar and spelling do count as well, even if you are not applying for a writing job. Lorraine always reminds me, well, they're not a writer. Grammar and spelling, you know what? I'm not, a, not even that mean. I'll give you a freebie. If I see one error, some people say they'll automatically throw it in the trash. I probably won't unless it's really egregious. Like misspelling the company name, that you're done, period. We're not talking anymore. But grammar and spelling show a lack of that attention to detail that any job applicant should have. If they are sloppy when they are trying to make a good first impression, what are they going to be like when they get comfortable in a job? Um, even if they are not personally good at grammar and spelling, the nature of a job application means you can ask someone else to look at it. You can take the time and make sure that someone who does know what they're doing is looking at your work. And not taking that step is a big demerit, even if you don't actually know the rules. I think the other thing in that area is pay attention to what you're being asked <laughs> to submit. And Allison, you're laughing. We have a very simple application at Round okay. We ask people, are you social? And underneath it, we tell them we're looking for a link to one of their social profiles. We ask them to upload two work examples, and there's a box with a very simple question. So let's break down some of the mistakes that we actually see in all of those stages. It's kind of incredible. Two times in one day last week when we answered to that are you social box, which again, asked specifically for a link, people answered yes, of course, and absolutely. What were they thinking? And maybe they're very great people, but you know, it shows that a lack of critical thinking skills and to some extent reading. But we also see people who, they tell us in their applications that let's say they're a web designer and they say, you know, I know how to use CSS and I know how to use HTML and blah, 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 all of these things. But then in the work samples they uploaded, there was not a single web design example. And so you begin to wonder, how good are you at what you say you're doing? In this day and age, I, you know what, if you're going to apply for a marketing job, I think you need to have some type of online portfolio, whether it's a blog, whether it's samples of your work. A few years ago, I would have said, okay, just send me you know, a couple of files. But the truth is that with as easy as it is to show off your work, if you're applying for any number of jobs, mm -hmm. you should have some online examples that demonstrate you can do what you say you, can, you, want, to, uh, you want to do for your career. You're right. And the other question that we ask as part of our standard, you know, submit your resume, is why round peg? And this is really our answer to the traditional cover letter. When we asked for a cover letter, we got copy and pasted crap that they had obviously sent to 50 different companies. And very often, if you are going to copy and paste this, just a little side note, make sure you change the name of the company. More than once that has happened. I have sent back a number of emails to people saying, clearly you didn't mean to apply to us because the cover letter was applied to someone else in some other company. And the other thing is people still try to take their section of their traditional cover letter that says why they want to work for a company. They try to take that and apply it without changing anything. I want to work for you because you seem very innovative and you have a commitment to company culture. 
you can spot those a mile away. You can tell that you didn't actually spend any time looking around the website. Again, I get it. I've been a job applicant. I have applied for a lot of jobs. You've got to take the time or else you are not going to stand out. One of the most interesting experiences I had, and this was very early in my career, I was sitting on an airplane behind someone who had a stack of resumes. And looking over his shoulder, it was obvious these were graphic designers. And each resume was more beautiful than the one before. They were really creatively laid out, they were wonderful work portfolios. And he would look at a resume and rip it in half. Every now and then, one went to the bottom of the pile. And with each rip. I cringed. But now, 20 years later, after looking at resume after resume after resume, I know why he ripped them up. They didn't match and there was no point to hold on to them. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on. Let's assume that you've got half a dozen candidates, you've read their resumes. On the surface, they seem like they've got what it takes. Do you invite them in for an interview? Not unless you don't really value your time or their time very much. Uh, the next step, I think in most cases, should be a phone screen. Um, you can typically tell within a few minutes of talking to someone if they're going to be a personality fit. I'm not saying completely. You're going to be able to get into the ballpark of are they a personality fit? Are they a culture fit? Do they want to do what you're asking? This isn't necessarily to get a gauge of their skills. It's more to understand more about who they are. Some of the things that we listen for in that first phone call is the level of enthusiasm with which someone mm -hmm. says they, they're interested in doing what we had in mind. Mm -hmm. um, one phrase that will immediately have you eliminated from the mix is, I wouldn't mind doing that. I could do that. I can do that. Those phrases demonstrate to me that you'd rather be doing almost anything else, but you got to have a paycheck. And I have no interest in just supporting your habits. We're interested in people who are very passionate about what they do. Now that might be different in your industry. You know, if you're hiring a girl, uh, you know, a, a high school kid to man the counter of your sandwich shop after school, you probably aren't going to find someone who's passionate about making sandwiches. Maybe you are. But depending on your industry, that passion can be a huge thing. And someone who just needs a job is probably not your best hire. The second thing that is a real turnoff for me is when we call or email and set up an appointment for this phone call. So they've had some warning. It's not like I caught them off guard. Yeah. But we, we, we said, hey, let's talk Wednesday at 10. And they've had some warning. And rolling into that phone call, it's completely obvious that they didn't take the time to look at our website, to learn a little bit about us in preparation for that call. Well, we've had people say, what is it that you do during that screen call? And again, this is not when you call to set up the initial appointment. You get a pass on that. You might, you've probably applied to a lot of things you may not recall off the top of your head. That's fine. But during a scheduled phone interview, if you don't know about the company or asking, what do you do? Forget it. And I know that people have been told that you're supposed to ask questions. I'm looking for, as a business owner, I'm looking for someone who knows enough about what we do to ask a smart question. Yes. And here's the really funny thing. Our website probably has half a dozen blog posts about what we look for mm -hmm. in candidates. 
maybe they're a little buried now, but there was a time when they were pretty high in the mix and people wouldn't take the time to look for them. Mm -hmm. Okay, someone gets through the resume screen, they get through the phone screen, they come in for an interview. How do you really do heads-up comparisons between employees? Actually, the last time we were really hiring for a competitive role for which we had multiple candidates as opposed to finding someone that we loved and slotting them into the company, we actually made a matrix, kind of, and, and we actually plotted where each uh, applicant fell on two different axes and, and kind of tried to rank them that way. I think um, one of the things that we were doing there was we really tried to standardize. Again, we had a very specific job we were trying to hire for. We tried to standardize the questions, ask the same questions. We had multiple people talk to the candidates one-on-one -on -one and in groups, so it wasn't based on any one person's opinion or, or feeling at a given time. The other thing, and, and this was an issue on that particular job, in a small business, in bigger companies, you are a project manager level three. And the job description for a project manager level three is, is very specific. In a small business, you're a communication manager, but you might be doing social media. Or you might be doing web design and something else. You, you might be wearing many hats. And one of the things, especially if you've had someone in a job for a while, they have created a job that works for them and works for the company, but it works because of their skill set. Mm -hmm. Finding that next person and expecting them to slot into a job that was built around one person is a recipe for disaster. And you know, in that case I was talking about, that's what happened and it wound up being not a good fit either for us or for the person that we hired. Because although he had some of the same characteristics of the person that we were replacing, he wasn't exactly the same person and there were some real gaps that we weren't paying attention to because we were blinded by some of the things that he seemed to do uh, well. What we needed to be doing is stepping back and really looking at what are the three things we really need this person to do. And I guess I would draw back and say we've been more successful in other hires where somebody wandered along and I really noticed something in their resume, noticed something in their cover letter, brought them in for conversation, and really felt like they had something they brought to the table. You really are looking for someone who stands out. That might be because they have a sense of humor in their cover letter. It might be that they have a really interesting job. It might be that they showed really in-depth information of your company. It can be lots of different things, but if you are trying, if you are finding a cover letter template on the internet, and a resume template, and you're just flinging it up there and expecting to be successful, those days are over. It's too competitive, it's too hard, there are too many people willing to do that job and might do it better and cheaper than you will. And from you know the hiring manager's perspective, look for those signs. Look for the clues that this is cookie cutter, that it's either a little too slick and a little too polished, or it doesn't really speak to who you are. One of the ways to kind of break that down in the interview process is sometimes to ask some slightly quirky, little bit weird, off-the-wall questions. Now, we kind of have a difference of opinion on this. I believe that 
you can ask those questions. Everyone's probably heard about the Google interview questions. They ask, you know, why are manhole covers round? Or, you know, how many golf balls can fill a city bus or something like that? And the point in them isn't the answer. It's in how they go about answering it. Why are manhole covers round? Well, because the, the manhole is round. Or because, these are some of the standard answers. Or because they're lower profile, they don't have the hard corners, so they're not going to pop tires or whatever. But I think that there really needs to be it really needs to be a way to show someone's thinking skills. It can't just be, oh, aren't we quirky? We're going to ask about, you know, what state you would ask to leave the union. Okay, but we we do have um, somewhat out of left field, but kind of interesting, and, and I, I enjoy the answers. Um, if you could have lunch with anyone alive or dead, who would you have lunch with? We do ask that, and I am always curious to see what people choose. If you got into a fight with a bear, who would win? And we actually took that particular question from our good friends over at SpinWeb. Um, they had it on one of their job applications, and we loved it, and we uh, appropriated it for our own uses. And the reason that I like it is there are several different things that that can tell you about a person. Who would win? Do they immediately give you an answer? Or do they say, well, I need more information on that? Do they say yes? Does that show that they're optimistic or overconfident? Do they say no? Does that mean that they're pessimistic or realistic? Because for God's sakes, it's a bear. How do they say that they would go about fighting or winning if they say that they would? So while it's, yeah, it's, it's a dumb question, but when you really break down the parts and look at it, it gives you a really good snapshot of someone's problem-solving skills. Fair enough. Um, I like to ask things that give me insight also into personality. Um, I look for clues on, are they an introvert, are they an extrovert? It's easy, not easy, it is possible as an introvert to fake it in an interview. Oh yeah, I do and, it all the time. And it's not that I have a bias one way or the other, but I want to know what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask additional questions on, where do you get your energy? Do you want to work by yourself? Um, how do you attack a stack of documents? But the interesting thing is, people always think those are trick questions. And for some people, I guess they would be. Actually, my dad was in HR, and at his particular company, they did practice some stress interview techniques. Like, one of the ones he said was, you would walk down a hall with someone to the interview room, and the interviewer would walk really fast, and if the person could not keep up, they weren't going to be good for the environment when you were done. So, I personally think that's kind of a jerk move, but it is a thing that people do. Um, you know what? We do something to a lot of our interview candidates that other people might think was a little bit of a jerk move also. You interview with all of us. If you get to that interview if you get to stage, that interview, yeah. yeah um, and that is a little disconcerting for certain, some people to be in a room with five or six different people who are all evaluating you at the same time. It can be, but at the same time, for us at Roundpeg, because we work, when I say we work closely together, I mean it literally. I don't mean that we're all interconnected on projects, though that's true. We work within five feet of each other, all of us. There are no cube walls separating us. Everyone listens to the same music. Everyone has to smell each other's lunches. Everyone has the same banter over BuzzFeed articles. If you can't keep up at a certain pace, you are going to be unhappy. And so the same thing with that, the, the pace at which people move in organizations. On the one hand, it's disconcerting. On the other hand, it's very revealing on whether or not you're going to like this place. And I mean, I will say all kinds of different people fit in. 
Peter is very, very quiet, but he fit in and he could he showed that he could run with us in his interview. Mm-hmm. Tamara is exactly the opposite. Jenna and I both fall somewhere in the middle. So it's not that it's screening one kind of person. It's like dating. It's chemistry. And so that, I think, is um, probably a pretty good place to kind of start wrapping some of this up. If you're going to hire somebody, you need to think about the job that you want. Mm-hmm. You need to think about the skills, the mix of personalities. You got to think about your environment and what it's like to work in your environment. And as you're interviewing, you need to present a positive impression of your organization, but a realistic impression. Um, just as the candidate needs to present a realistic impression of who they are. I think one last thing I would suggest as an interviewer always ask for examples. If you were in this situation, how would you do that? Or when you were in this situation, what did you do? Now, when you're hiring kids out of college, it is harder to get to the what did you do, but as much as possible, push for examples, because that's going to tell you a lot about how someone is going to react in your environment. Okay, I think we have talked about hiring enough. If we stay on this podcast much longer, we're going to have to hire some people to do our jobs. That'd be okay, right? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) All right, back to the grind. So if you have enjoyed today's program, if you'd like to know more about business, marketing, social media, and business management, be sure to check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. If you're interested in a career at Roundpeg, check out our careers page. This has been another episode of More Than A Few Words. Thanks for listening.